0: If you're a note taker, you kind of want a main idea for the day. Here's kind of a starting point. As Christchurch, we're a people that others can run to in times of need and a safe place when the storms of life are overwhelming. So let me say that again. As Christchurch, we're a people that others can run to in times of need and a place, a safe place, when the storms of life are overwhelming. So let me, let me kind of start with what we want to do today. I I want to, we're going to read about Paul and Paul is going to actually endure a storm at sea, right? So there's a real storm. He's on a real boat. He's being taken to Rome. He's a prisoner. As you know, we've been in Acts. He's been arrested for his faith. He's gone before many people, been tried for his faith. And now he is going from, uh, from here to Rome and where he will eventually stand trial before Caesar and As history tells us, that's where he will end up living his last days. And what's going to happen here is on this passage, as we just read a a short portion from later on in the passage, is Paul is literally going to experience a storm at sea. Now, the reason I want to look at us as a church being a place where people can come or, or people that people can turn to in the storms of their life is, is metaphorically, uh, this is a real storm, but metaphorically, we we seem to find that people, when they endure hard times or hard seasons, what we might say storms in their life, when they endure that, oftentimes they will come or return to the church. If you're a friend with folks who are not believers, and you're just going about your life, and you're enduring seasons of hard times, they're enduring seasons of hard times, sometimes people then turn to faith. I remember being in a really, really large church at the time when 9-11 happened. And the Sunday after 9-11, churches were filled all over the place. And right afterwards, we gathered together and, and like we just announced, next week is Selah, right? And it's, it's not a hugely attended thing. People don't gather together to pray often, to pray corporately, to pray together, um, unfortunately, right? But after 9-11, lots of people gathered together to pray, really looking out, seeking a place, a place they could find from the storms they were enduring. I got a phone call uh, just a couple weeks ago and was able to sit down with a friend who used to be a, used to be a part of the church and whose life has, well, he'd walked away from the church. I think that was kind of obvious in my telling of the story, right? I hope. He'd wandered away from God, wandered away from church. At one point was even saying he was an atheist and now he's kind of come to a place in life where a lot of the pressures of life or the things that he's going through are causing him to turn back to asking new questions, to asking different questions, or maybe even asking old questions again. And I, I felt very privileged to get that phone call, I felt very privileged to receive that from someone, knowing that they felt like I was a safe place to turn because I knew who they were, I know what they've done, I know how they live now. I know the things that they believe now, the things that they believe about uh, drinking and drugs, the things they believe about sexual orientation, sexuality, and gender identity. I know all these things about this particular person, and yet I love him, and we got to hang out, and I feel privileged to walk through a journey and a conversation with him about Jesus. Now, here's the upside, is he and I both know I have one goal. My goal is to tell him about Jesus and see him come to faith, right? He knows that. I know that. That's why he called me. But what was really cool is that he found like he could turn to me in a season where he was struggling through things, not knowing what he believes or wants to believe. So let's put a pin in that. We'll look at the passage today. Will you pray with me as we get started? Jesus, again, I pray that you would speak. My words do nothing. Jesus, your words give us life, and so I pray that you would come, you would meet us in this passage, and that you, would, that you would open our eyes to how we as a church, and I don't mean a building, but as a people, how we as a church can be a place where people can turn. We can be a people that others can feel safe when they, when they run into hard times. And so, Lord, maybe some of us here are going through hard times, maybe some of us here are not believers, um, but all of us. I think sitting here, know we can turn to you. So help us to be that also. Again, speak to us through your word, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts 27, starting in verse 1, says this. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And so here's the deal. Paul, again, on his way to Rome, he's going to be tried. He has stood trial in front of Jewish religious leadership that wanted to execute him. And then in front of leaders, governors, Felix, Festus, even a king, Herod Agrippa II, he's stood in front of powerful people, military tribunes, political leaders, speakers. All kinds of people, he has stood in front of them, and each time, what Paul has been able to do is share his faith openly, transparently, powerfully to people in high places. And he has appealed to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen, so he's being taken to Rome, he's in chains, and now he, is, he has been handed over to a military leader who's going to take him for where he is, he's going to see him all the way to Rome. Verse 2, and it says, And embarking on a ship of Andromidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to his friends to be cared for. So Paul has some health issues. We see that here we're not told a lot about it. We're not told if these are the ones that he references in other books of the Bible, but Paul has something going on. And it says that at one point, he is allowed to go to his friends to be cared for. So as a starting point, remember, we're looking at being a people or being a place, being somewhere that people can turn to in hard times. I want you to see how Paul acts in normal, everyday situations. So if you're a note taker, this is on our app, but Paul acts kindly even as a prisoner. This affects how people treat him, which is to his benefit. It also allows people to seek him in distress later. We'll see that in the passage. How we act in all circumstances is important. See, it's how we act every day, how we follow Jesus every day. Now, just back this up a minute, pretend you're Paul. Imagine you're in chains for your faith. Imagine you're, you're really arrested and going to Rome. You're going to be put in front of the highest court or the highest authority in the land, and you're there because you profess to follow Jesus. Now, Imagine that to be the setting for you, and imagine all the frustrations. You might have frustration with Jesus, right? You might have frustration in your faith. Like, listen, all I'm doing is standing up for you, God, and or I'm making a, a profession of faith for you, Jesus, and like, why am I in chains for you? I've been falsely accused, I've been falsely condemned, I've been beaten, I've been arrested. I, 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 they want to kill me, Why? And then just imagine in front of the authorities, imagine how you might be. Imagine how you might speak or how you might act. Paul doesn't do any of that. Paul has lived in such a way with rare exception, that Paul has lived in such a way that people see Jesus even as he is a prisoner. And again, this benefits him. Now he's having some health issues of some kind. It doesn't elaborate. But because of his demeanor, because of his, the way he acts, the way he lives, he's allowed to go see some friends that they could care for him. Remember, he's being taken in chains from city to city on his way to Rome. And so as he has places that can care for him, he's allowed to do that because of the way he acts. Verse 4, it says, And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia, There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So they've moved now from a port-to-port ship to a seafaring ship, something that can go out in deeper waters, stronger, and take on the current and the climate that they're going to endure. Verse 7, it says, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty, Osnaitis. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the Lee of Crete, Aus Salmone coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Is there a weird echo in the mic? Yes. Can we work on that maybe, please? Thanks. I can, if I can hear it, I know it's bad. So here's what happened, and, and here's what, what Paul, or what Luke, the historian, or Luke, the author, is telling us about this journey, is that as they, a lot of time has passed by. And so, I know it doesn't say this, but as you follow the fast that they're talking about, which would be the Day of Atonement, as you follow the things that they're giving us, it would be right around this time of year, maybe late October. And so what happens in this area is any time after September until the following year, it is really dangerous to sail. And so if things have kind of held them back and and pushed them along and slowed them down, they're getting to a place right now as they leave this port-to-port kind of ship and they're going to get out in open water and they're getting on a different kind of boat to do that. They're really at that point, that place in the calendar where it's not safe to do this, okay? Verse seven, so we sailed slowly. Excuse me, I wanted to go back to nine. Since much time had passed, The voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. So Paul advised them, verse 10, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So in the passage here, in the story that Paul is living at this time, the one recorded for us, We see them land in a place in the calendar where setting sail, getting out on open water is going to be dangerous. They're going to endure storms. They're going to walk through things that are uh, are going to put them at risk. Now, have you ever been in a place? I know the answer is yes, so you don't have to answer. Have you ever been in a place personally or given some advice to a friend where from the outside you're looking at this and you're saying, like, this isn't a good idea? I'm like this isn't good for your life, right? You've never been there, right? Because you make perfect decisions, <laughs> right? Okay, and all your friends clearly are perfect, right? So just imagine you have a flawed friend, and you tell them, hey, listen, I don't think this is a good idea. Now, how often do they listen? Now, I know it depends on this imaginary friend we have, but but rarely if we're just doing averages, right? Right now, now lower the age of the person we're talking to. <laughs> and raise the age of the person talking, and, and, and the gap gets larger, right? It's Because you young people are smarter than us. We know that. But imagine this setting where the advice from the outside, you're looking at a calendar, you're looking at the ocean, you're looking at the storms, you're like, this is a bad idea, right? You're looking at the decision they want to make, you're looking at their ability to make it, all the implications of that decision whatever it might be, and you're like that's a bad idea, right? Again, how often do people listen? And in this case, they're not going to listen, right? Sometimes we have good advice and sometimes nobody wants to hear it, right? Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. So there's there's you can read this and from the outside you would say, "Okay, pilot or captain of the ship, the person who is the most used to the sea and the ship, there's that person, then there's the owner of the ship, you're thinking, okay, these guys are experts in this kind of thing, right? And who's Paul? Like, who, who are the people saying, hey, this is too dangerous? But here's what's going on. The pilot and the owner, they have a bias. They have a dog in the fight, if you will, right? Because to stop now means stop not at home, okay? That's to mean that your cargo sits, now it could be perishable, it could be something you need to sell, it could be anything, but this means I'm gonna spend the next several months away from home. So what do they wanna do? They wanna press on. What does the owner wanna do? The owner wants the ship to continue on because it is profitable for the owner to keep moving. It is also comfortable to go home, right? You've ever been at the end of like a long trip and you're like, man, we could spend the night now or drive another six hours and be home or man, it's going to be kind of running from this flight to this flight, but I'd rather be home and sleep in my own bed. Those are things I say, right? I, I, like, I want to be home and that's where they are. What's driving them is to get to where they're scheduled to go. So oftentimes, the church doesn't have a voice, though. And we've talked about this a lot the last three weeks. We're in a time where the church has lost being a prominent voice in society. Most other voices are given more credibility, media, public figures, etc. And in this case, what we have is people with an agenda have a voice, and a loud voice, and, and Paul, who's just saying from the outside, listen, this isn't a thus saith the Lord, or the Bible says you shouldn't do this and you're doing that. This isn't any of that. This is like, hey, this is a really dumb time to get in a boat. Right? Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So here's why they make the decision they'd rather be in this other place rather than this place and have to spend the winter here. There's an economic reason, there's a comfort reason, there's a lot of reasons that don't line up with reason or wisdom, right? There's a lot of things pushing them to get to this next place. Verse 13, it says, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Creek closer to the shore. So weighed anchor, they drew their anchor up. They're going to set out to sea. But soon the tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So let me just summarize that for you. Everything is looking good, and so they, they, they weigh anchor, they lift the anchor, right? Now, I was army, not navy, so I just, I had to look up a lot of these things, so, right? It had have been really good if I could have borrowed some of you guys, right? So weighed anchor, so they pull the anchor up, put it in the boat, they're going to get out there, it looks like everything is going good until it isn't, until another wind gets them and they can't even face it. So just imagine sails now, you can't face it, you can't go the way you want to go, you're forced this way. In other words, now the storm is in control of the boat. Right? For those of you old enough, right? You're starting to hear that Gilligan theme song, right? <laughs> Three-hour tour is not going well. <laughs> right? They're being driven along, and they're out of control. So just just pause. What about those places in life when someone has told us, hey, this isn't a good idea? Or what about those paces, parents, and I know you know this, where we've looked at our kids, and from everything from the outside... You're like, this is a bad idea. Sometimes people don't listen. They didn't listen. Now, the storm's in control of their life, right? So for you note-takers, a storm takes over. When life becomes overwhelming, people often return to the church for answers. This is our opportunity to love people and serve them in their challenging season. So... A lot of times what happens is the storm in life takes over and they're being driven along by whatever it might be, financial oppression, addiction, a relationship, a bad choice, a job, a lack of jobs, a living situation, whatever it might be, they're being driven along by the storm or we're being driven along by our decisions. And it's at that point, oftentimes caused by the pain of that situation that people return back to the church. Now, as a pastor, I get a lot of those phone calls, right? I get a lot of those texts or emails or whatever else. Hey, can we hang out? Can we meet up? Here's what's going on, which is great. I love that opportunity. But as the church, imagine that this person doesn't know a pastor. And they're just getting driven along by the decisions they've made in their life. And they don't know a church. They don't know a pastor The people that gave them advice before, they followed that advice, and now here they are. But you live next door, and every Sunday morning, for whatever reason, you get up early and trot off to church, right? I know, football's on, and there's other things to do, but you seem to go to church, right? This is an opportunity, oftentimes, people will reach out and say, listen, I'm trapped here. And again, most of the time, it's way after the storm is in charge of the life right? Not early enough where you're like, wow, well, I wish we could have done this six months ago. We could of course corrected. right? We could have stayed here and everything would have been fine. But it opens people up to us. Verse 16. Running under the lee of a small island called Kauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the surdice, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they begun the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So I want you to hear this. So their cargo, the thing that was part of the reason why they wanted to keep pressing on, right? Like, hey, there's this thing. It was economic. It was their cargo. We need to get it to a port where we can, where we can offload it, where we can sell it, or whatever they're doing, right? Where it won't spoil, whatever it is. There's this thing that used to seem like a really good idea and a really good reason to press on. That's the thing they just threw overboard, right? Because now it's extra weight that's hurting them. And then all of a sudden now they're throwing over the tackle. Now, if you don't, if you don't fish or if you don't hang out on a ship like this at all, which I really don't, the tackle is to feed yourself when you run out of food. Like they are, they are saying everything that is not imminent right now has to go. And off goes the cargo that would have made them whatever money, income. Off goes the tackle that could have helped feed them if they get stuck at sea for longer. It's getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. Now, maybe this isn't someone else that we're talking about this morning. But maybe it's us. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Maybe where we are in life feels like a storm that we just can't get out of. We were talking earlier. Uh, I know after the beginning of the year we're going to do um, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. If you guys know what that is, <laughs> one person, yay! But they're not in debt though, so um, right? Yeah. So uh, we're going to do that. But that's one of the things we talk about: is burden of debt, like financial burden, can make you feel like light, like the storm is driving your life, right? I forget how he says it, but you have more month than income or more month than paycheck or whatever he says. In other words, you run out of money before you run out of week, right? And you just feel like you're driven by this circumstance. Maybe it's, so it's, maybe it's us, right? Maybe, maybe it's us that's in this storm. And so I don't want you to miss this and thinking about, hey, we need to be people that other people can turn to. That's true. But maybe it's us in the storm too. Maybe it's us right now that needs to hear this that needs to hear, hey, listen, we could, of course, correct it back here, pardon the pun, that ship has sailed, right? I mean, like, that, that day is gone. Now we're here. And now we're the ones that wanted to go that way, but the storm is just driving us out of control that way. And really, if that's you right now, or if that's someone you know right now, really, that feeling is, I don't know what to do. Like, I have no answer for this. Listen to this, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all our hope of being saved was lost, was at last abandoned. I want to read that again. This sounds like a hopeless journal entry. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest or storm or wind lay upon us, All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Man, I have felt that. Right? I I mean, that drove me to coming to faith. I mean, that's where I found myself before I came to faith 20-something years ago. Right? But I find myself like that often. Like, there's oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we're like, okay, like, all hope is abandoned. Like, this relationship's too hard, this situation, this ministry, this workplace, this, this, our kids, or whatever. I don't have any hope left in this. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was the, uh, would have been his 50th birthday. My best friend committed suicide about four years ago, five years ago. And he was six months, seven months older than me. And I posted on Facebook, I said, man, I would have loved teasing you about hitting 50 before I did, Right? And it was kind of a, just a, I don't know what it was. He's never gonna see it, right? Or if he is, he doesn't need Facebook, but you get the point, right? (laughs) Something happened in Brian's life five years ago where the last thread of hope disappeared. And had he been a journaler, she wasn't, not that I know of, a line like this would have appeared probably at the end. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all our hope was being saved. of being saved was at last abandoned. That's a scary place to be. That's a place in life where we are incredibly vulnerable and at risk. So our challenge today, if you're a note taker, or if you wanna ask yourself a question that you can take to your community group, if you have community group this week with a holiday, oh no, no holidays next week, if you have community group this week, how can we be God's people when life is the most challenging and difficult? Even if we, like Paul, are in the storm ourselves. So how, how can we be God's people when life is the most challenging and difficult? Even if we, like Paul right now, are in the storm ourselves. So if you have a community group this week with the holidays, or if you just want to take this to your home or sit around your table with your family, just ask, like, how do we get to be the people of God in the midst of the storm? And like Paul, oftentimes we're in the storm. See, Paul's not removed from it. He's not phoning this thing in, telling them what they should have done, what they could do, and how to get out of this. Paul's in the midst of the storm. Luke's the one writing this. It's Luke's journal entry that sounds so incredibly hopeless. Verse 21, it says, since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. We get this translated into English, and, and you, you can read it different ways. Sometimes tone is lost, if you will. And this kind of reads like, and I told you so, and that's not really how it's written. It's written like, hey, listen, I tried to say this before, right? And now, now we're here. Let me give you some hope. Like I, I wanted, I've wanted to help the whole time. It's more like that, and then. But he says this. I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Paul is now speaking with kind of a faith-based, kind of a divine insight, if you will. Clearly, Paul has been in prayer. Clearly, Paul's talked to God in the midst of the storm. Right? Clearly, Paul is engaging in this at some level where God is, is now directing Paul. And Paul gets to speak up in the midst of this chaotic storm where really even Paul's closest friend on the ship right now is writing like, hey man, there's no hope left. Like everything is dark, literally no sun, stars, nothing. It's been dark. They're, they're shrouded in this storm. And I know, in, and sometimes in life, it can literally feel like we're shrouded in that storm. Like there is no light. And Luke, who's a follower of Jesus, he's a Christian guy too. He is pretty hopeless. And Paul says, listen, if you listen to me, no one's going to get lost. We're going to lose the ship, but no one's going to die. Verse 23 says, for this very night stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. If you go back a few weeks, ah, seven, eight, nine weeks, we watched as Paul in Ephesus has made such an impact in a city that the city actually begins to riot. People that make idols in the city are going out of business because Christianity has taken root in Ephesus. That's the the context for Acts 18. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this this riot where people are literally starting to get violent in the middle of a, a a massive public space, People are getting uh, hurt, and people are threatening to kill him. People he knows are getting beaten. In the midst of this, Jesus tells Paul, listen, I want you to stay in Ephesus, not leave. Because his his instinct and his friend's instincts are to get Paul out of here. Like, hey man, this is not safe for you. Let's get you out of here, and maybe this riot will stop. But Jesus tells Paul, listen, stay here. I've got more work for you to do, and I'm going to protect you. In fact, I'm going to use you to take this message of Jesus all the way to Rome. So now, all that has come true, and for, for chapter upon chapter, which for us is years, years of Paul's life ago, Jesus told him that, and Jesus has been faithful to keep Paul safe in each place, and even as Paul was arrested, and they wanted to kill him, Jesus protected him, and even as he stood before governors and kings and, and, and leaders, God has kept him safe. Jesus has kept him safe, and so now, in the midst of the storm, you're Paul. And now, now you're, you're in the midst of this, and you're like, okay, so I know you've called me to go here. We're not here yet, and you're telling me we're still going here. I can have faith in you. Like, I can believe you because you've been true every time. Amen. That's where, if we're in, whether we're in the storm or not, again. But if we're followers of Jesus, that's where we need to be. Yeah. See, here's in Acts 18. Here's what Jesus tells them. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Here's what Jesus says. I'm going to protect you because I've got more here. I want to have hear your message. So I'm going to keep you and I'm going to keep these people who want to harm you. I'm going to keep them away from you. So Paul trusts Jesus. Paul stays there. More people come to faith. Paul ends up pastoring a church there for two, three years. Then he, gets, he moves on, and, and Jesus continues to be faithful. And so each step of the way, Paul's faith in Christ is, is growing, Paul's knowledge that God is caring for him and, and watching over him, that grows and deepens. And now here he is on a boat, in the midst of a storm, and everyone else is losing hope, including other followers of Jesus. And here's Paul like, "Hey, it's going to be all right. It's going to be OK. We're going to lose the ship, but we're going to live. So God's faithfulness. Next slide. Paul stands on the faithfulness of Jesus when things look bleak because Jesus has never abandoned him before. Remembering what Jesus has done causes us to stand in faith amidst trials. Verse 25. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. I think that's a funny verse. Here's what he says. Have faith, men, it's gonna be okay, but we're gonna wreck the boat. (laughs) We're gonna run aground on an island, but it's cool, don't worry about it. Like, we're all gonna be okay, right? But it's true. Verse 27 He says, When the 14th night had come, when we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took a sounding again and they found 15 fathoms. And so they're getting closer and closer to land. Verse 29, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Another really funny verse. Consider this. You're on a boat with a bunch of Roman soldiers and whatever else, and you're actually in chains because of your faith. So most of the people around there don't worship the God you worship. But in the midst of this storm now, lots of sailors have turned to prayer, right? Right? <laughs> And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I love that. I like that Luke has a sense of humor. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat onto the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. There's this tendency for those who can, to bail, right? And Paul's like, well, now here's where the real faith comes in. If everybody stays on the ship, we live. People jump out, we die. But people are looking around, and again, they're confronted with this. They're confronted with, okay, if I jump out, I'll probably live. But if I stay on board, I'm not sure what's going to happen, they're confronted with their own comfort, they're confronted with their own self, and really what's at risk, they think maybe it's just everybody else. It's a lot like in the beginning when Paul looked at him and said, Man, I'm not sure this is the right time to sail. Right? But others are saying, No, man, we should press on, we should get over here, because we don't want to winner here, we want to winner over here. It's that same idea. No, if you guys stay on, we're gonna live. You get out, everybody's gonna die. Now, who do they trust? What do they do in this circumstance? Like, okay, not trusting God, not trusting Paul, that's gotten us over here. That's gotten us in the situation we're in. Maybe it's a good idea to start figuring this thing out from a different perspective. And as the sailors, verse 30, were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat under the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Verse 32. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. That's the lifeboat. That's that last shot of this is my back door. I want to do it my own way. This is my, la- this is my lifeline over here. This is the ship's boat. A Smaller boat they would drag along with a larger boat that they could use for other things. But in this case, this is the emergency lifeboat. And they've heard Paul say, you got to stay on board or we die. You get off. This is their own way. And all of a sudden, their own way doesn't make as much sense as it used to because their own way got them where they are. And so they cut everything loose, and they hang on. Calm in the storm. When we have been people of faith who remain steadfast in hard times of life, people will begin to turn to us during their seasons of struggle. If we're people of faith who really live out our faith, if we live in a way that's genuine, Paul Paul was a genuine guy, and it benefited him even when he got sick early in the chapter, like he'd just been a good guy. He'd just been a God-honoring, Christ-fearing, nice guy. He'd been a guy who didn't complain about his circumstances, who just, I mean, the list goes on and goes on and goes on, but Paul had been a guy people respect and like. They, they respect him for his faith, that his, that his life lines up with what he say he professes, what he says he professes. So Paul, not only has that benefited him, but when it comes time now, where really everybody else is caught in a storm and all hope is kind of lost and getting, trying things their own way has gotten them in the storm. Finally, they follow Paul, but they reach out to Paul. They listen to Paul because Paul's been this guy the whole time. Paul's not now coming back around and going, hey, sorry I was a jerk back there, but I mean, to be fair, I'm in chains, right? He's not making excuses. He's just been, he's been the right guy the whole time. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. I love that image of Paul taking bread, blessing it, breaking it, Sound familiar at all? Just as Jesus, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, and he had prayed and he had sought God, and he had turned over everything saying, "Man, not my will, God, but your will be done. Jesus gathers together with his disciples, and he sits there around the Passover meal, the very meal that proclaimed his death to come. As he breaks that bread and he looks at him, he says, my body broken for you. Like my brokenness, so that you can be made whole. And he pours the cup and he blesses the cup and he says, This is a a covenant in my blood. This is a promise, a guarantee in my blood. As I die, I die for you. This is a promise to cover your sin. And there's this image, and we will take communion today right in just a few minutes. And there's this image that stays with us of Jesus at that Last Supper, at Jesus at that meal with his disciples. Breaking bread. And it's repeated a couple times. And here's Paul in the midst of a storm. Here's here's Paul in the midst of chaos. In the midst of a storm that has wrecked everything. As people are starting to listen to him. And as not everything is all over. He is bringing peace. And he is bringing calm to people. And he says, listen, we haven't eaten in a long time. It's time. We need to eat. And so really in this Christ-like fashion, he just, he prays. He breaks bread. He speaks peace. And if we're going to be people, not only that can endure the storm, but people where others can come to us in their storm, we're going to have to be people that have such deep faith that we have peace, that we bring peace, that we speak peace into chaotic life. Verse 36, it says, then all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. This is what Luke says here. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. I don't know that I ever get a good idea of the size of things when I'm reading through the story. And then Luke will say, there's like almost 300 people on this ship. And you look at the impact being made by Paul. Now, we, we look at Paul as like this first century landscape hero of Christianity. To these guys, Paul's just a dude in chains. He's just another thief or robber or troublemaker or insurrection leader or whatever. He's just another dude in chains. But in this moment, he is like Christ in the midst of that ship, speaking peace and pointing them to Christ himself. Verse 39, Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and they left them in the sea and at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, and the bow struck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So they literally give up everything. They cut the anchors loose that would have held them back. They cut the ropes loose to guide the rudder and they're just like, okay, this is it. We're going wherever we go. We're no longer in charge of this. Really, what a beautiful image of what it looks like to come to faith. Amen. Yeah. There has to be a point in your, t- in your life, and if this is you, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that, that you've had this moment, and it's, it's a step of faith. It's not, it doesn't just always make sense or always perfectly come together, but there's that moment in time where you're like, I've just got to give up control. Yeah. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, all my control got us in all the mess anyhow, right? Like, all my best decisions got me in all the mess I was in. And so there's this, I got to give this up. But it's so hard to let go of that control, and that's what they do. They cut, literally, they cut the ropes of everything that could have controlled anything. And they turn their faith over. Verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, the rest, and on the rest, planks and pieces of the ship, and so it was that they were all brought safely to land. <clears throat> the soldiers are just trying to guard themselves, cover themselves, and say that no one got away, so their thought is just kill the prisoners, but because of Paul and because of Paul's faithfulness, everyone, just as God had promised, makes it to land. Paul's faith. Last note for you. Paul lives in a way that benefits him, his illness, right? Right? Impacts those he's encounters, the ship's captain and others, and others around them, my passengers who may have never even seen him. Living faithfully allows God to use us in any circumstance. Let's pray. Jesus, I believe that uh, that we all want to be that. I believe that we all want to be those people that can be faithful people that can be a comfort to others. In the midst of the storm, that we want to be those people that, that people can run to and cling to and we can point them to you. I think we all want that. Sometimes we find ourselves in the storm ourselves. And it's just hard to be people of faith in those moments and day in, day out life. I pray that we would be though. I pray that we would be those people in every circumstance. That we would bring you glory and that we would be useful by you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.